Welcome to Healthy by Choice, a broadcast designed to bring powerful healing into your life today. Gaining and maintaining optimum health is possible at any age. That's what thousands are learning at CHIP, the complete health improvement program offered across the country and around the world. You can learn more at chiphealth.com. But now, get ready to enjoy some proven results and priceless benefits. I'm your Healthy by Choice host, Charles Mills. Our guest today insists that in many cases we're sick because scientists fail to see the forest for the trees. What does that mean? Let's talk with T. Colin Campbell, co-author of the international bestseller The China Study, and more recently a groundbreaking book entitled Whole, Rethinking the Science of Nutrition. Dr. Campbell, welcome to Healthy by Choice. It's a pleasure to be here. You spend a lot of time in the pages of your book suggesting that many in the scientific community are coming at research all wrong. We're majoring in minors, and we're all paying a terrible price for that oversight. What exactly is the problem, and how did we get there? First off, your comment, your summary is right on point. I agree with you totally. You do represent it well. Yes, science, especially in medicine, and particularly in nutrition, my field, nutrition and cancer, Mm -hmm. And I've I've been part of this for, as you know, a long time and did this kind of research myself. So I do speak from some first-hand experience, I I, I suspect. But basically, we tend to work on details. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That means when I say that, it goes all the way from, let's say, applications that are put in for research funding, for example, of which I've been a part, received a lot of generous funding over the years, and I've been on the other side of the table being one of the evaluators. Mm -hmm of other applications for other kinds of research. In research, the work that actually succeeds in getting funding is the kind of work that is very focused. Hmm. It needs to be focused. If it's not focused, I mean, I've seen so many applications this way. If it's not focused, then it's called basically a shotgun approach or uh, going on a fishing expedition, uh-huh. sort of typical terms uh-huh. that we use. So research is focused on details. In medicine, in the practice of medicine, itself. We tend to focus on individual chemicals and what they might be able to do for our health. Mm-hmm. That's known as the drug industry. And in that particular case, it's probably even a step further removed because these chemicals that are used are not natural chemicals. They are chemicals that must be, by necessity, synthesized into something that's unnatural, yes. which you know just basically makes them toxic. And so all drugs have side effects. That's the second problem. In talking about nutrition with the public, yes. We tend to focus on individual nutrients, you know, as a means of discussing this question of nutrition. We, for example, label uh, the nutritional value of individual products by the content of individual nutrients Mm -hmm. and specific amounts of nutrients. Mm -hmm. We make recommendations, you know, for good nutrition in terms of focus on individual nutrients, recommended dietary allowances, for example. And so on and on it goes. And... When we do that, we're actually working with parts, not the whole. You gave a very good example of this uh, in your book about orange juice and vitamin C. Can you sort of clarify that for us so our our listeners can understand where you're coming from? Yes. For a long time, the citrus industry has advertised their products, their citrus products, orange juice in particular, in terms of its vitamin C content, as Mm -hmm. if oranges, if you will, are the most important source of vitamin C. Right. 
uh, and maybe that's all they really have. And so we, <laughs> I mean, it's a, it's a marketing ploy to face it. Yeah. And oranges have a lot more than vitamin C, as we know. First off, and secondly, uh, oranges aren't even the best source of vitamin C. And thirdly, the amount of vitamin C that's present in an orange that has a certain degree of activity it means that we can sort of estimate what that is. But it's not the same as taking vitamin C separately. Mm-hmm. So what findings sort of illustrates is that there's far more to an orange, if you will, than just this vitamin C content. So when scientists say, okay, if you have a cold, you need to have vitamin C, and so they go out and buy a supplement as opposed to going out and buying the orange, which has the vitamin C in it. Is that right? That's exactly right. This idea of focusing and focusing and focusing on individual nutrients has taken the form of a major industry, as we all know, that industry being the vitamin supplement industry, you know, measured now in billions of dollars, you know, spent each year by people for presuming they're going to get good health from it. I don't want to deny that occasionally a vitamin C supplement or a vitamin of some kind of supplement may look good in the short run, but that's not the answer to to health in the long term. It simply isn't. And now we have lots of evidence in the last 20 years that has been done on randomized clinical trials testing individual nutrient supplements, and that information has really come up short. Mm. In fact, in several instances now we have evidence that when vitamins are taken that way, they may actually cause toxicity uh, and increase the risk rather than decrease risk. And so with all all these sort of perspectives on how we think about nutrition, I then address the question in the book whole, what does it look like inside of the body? What does it look like in the cell? How do these nutrients actually get utilized? Mm -hmm. And why don't they work alone like they would together? In other words, is biology or health effects just simply the sum of nutrient parts? Mm -hmm. No, it's not. It's greater than the sum of its parts, essentially. So you can begin to see this when you're sort of uh, looking inside of a cell where I spent much of my early career, so to speak, as you know, it's a biochemist. And what we find is that among the cells we have in our body, and there's at least 10 trillion, between 10 trillion and 100 trillion, according to some estimates. I don't know who sat around and counted those cells. (laughs) My, that was was some job. (laughs) Yeah, that's the numbers that are thrown around. And so these individual cells, we can't see them with the naked eye. Uh And they're so small that they can sit on the head of a pen Mm. quite comfortably. But inside of each one of those cells is a whole universe of activity. Mm-hmm. And a universe both in terms of the countless reactions going on and the interactions that go on between these reactions, but also sort of like a universe in a sense because if you measure things in relative distances between one part of the subcellular component and another, the distances are vast My. compared to the particle itself. Yeah. So you, you back away from all of this and you see how the... Complexity is almost beyond comprehension, really, to mm-hmm. be able to describe it. And then, then you have to worry, you know, how does this all work so well together? Yes. And then that raises still another question is, you know, what concentration of these individual nutrients must there be at that site when they operate in a good way? And does that have any relationship with the amount that we're actually consuming? No, it doesn't have very much relationship at all, if at all. Mm-hmm. And so the whole enterprise of science focusing on individual parts like this, although it has contributed to knowledge. I, I don't doubt that one bit. In other words, knowing the parts and knowing them in some detail allows us to begin to think about the whole. So, in other words, the study of the parts is the structure of the whole. And so we can, if we can learn about those things, then we can start thinking about the whole. But unfortunately, over the years, we focus so much on the parts 
because that's what sells. That's what makes money. Yeah. As a result, we've sort of got diverted from this larger idea, this, this much more significant idea of the whole itself. Mm-hmm. You know, how does all this stuff get integrated one with another? And when we do it that way in a form of whole foods, that's one of the reasons I support the idea of whole foods and sure. whole plant-based foods at that. Yeah. When we focus on that and using foods to achieve this good nutrition, then we see these remarkable effects that have been basically overlooked. So when you look into a cell, when you look through your microscope into a cell and you see the, the reaction of that cell or the energizing of that cell based on whether a vitamin C supplement came in there or whether the orange itself came in there, there is a difference? It reacts differently? Oh, yes. It's a huge difference. One of my friends here at Cornell University did some really rather nice work on the content of a vitamin, vitamin C in an apple, for example. Mm -hmm. And uh, he basically measured chemically how much vitamin C was in that apple. And then he, in turn, took that amount of vitamin C, put it in a supplement to see if he could get the same result. He couldn't. It was only something like 1% or 2% of what it was in the apple. So it begs the question, well, how does vitamin C in the apple, that same amount of vitamin C in the apple, do so much more? Well, there's a couple reasons for that. First off, there's a lot of chemicals in apples that have vitamin C-like activity. Hmm. You know, they just sort of represent themselves as being vitamin C in a sense. So there's lots of other things in there. But then there's also the fact that the vitamin C, once, once it's in the milieu, the natural milieu of an apple, it interacts with all these other things in there, too. So mm-hmm. its own activity mm-hmm. is greatly influenced by all of its neighbors, if you will. Mm-hmm. And, and the, the differences between, you know, chemical and totally in isolation, the difference in the activity presented by a chemical in isolation is very different from what that same amount of chemical might do when it's in the presence of whole food. I mean, it's really quite remarkable. And I, I, I was attempting to work on this, this idea in the book, Whole, as a result of writing the China study mm-hmm. with my son, Tom. And there, what I was interested in doing as a start was simply to see if we couldn't summarize, you know, all the evidence that I had learned over the previous decades, mm-hmm. to see if we could summarize that into a story that made sense. And it does. It makes sense. It works. It certainly does. But it left unanswered the question from a more theoretical point of view. Uh, it left unanswered, well, how does it work that way? You know, why do we use supplements? Why don't doctors? Why aren't doctors trained in this? Mm-hmm. I mean, your doctors are not even trained in nutrition at all. Yes, yes. And so, you, all of a sudden, you start asking questions like that, and then when you start thinking of the concept of whole foods and so forth and so on, all of a sudden, some really interesting ideas come into view. Well, we want to talk about those interesting ideas and much more with Dr. T. Colin Campbell. He is our guest today on Healthy by Choice. We'll take a short break. And when we come back, Dr. Campbell, I want to ask you about that catch-all these days, genetics. We seem to be uh, trying to, to map out all of our ills and all of our solutions based on genetics. Is that where we should be looking? Let's find out from Dr. T. Colin Campbell on our return. So stay right where you are. I'd like to take a moment to invite you to the CHIP website, chiphealth.com. It's a confusing world out there. 
Lots of information comes at you from so many different directions. How can you tell fact from fiction when it comes to health? Well, at CHIP, we don't deal with wishful thinking. We're not pushing pills or potions. We advocate gaining and maintaining optimum health through lifestyle changes. Changes in what you eat, how you exercise, even how you think and reason. Does it work? Over 50,000 graduates say yes. They've seen their blood pressure normalize, cholesterol numbers drop, diabetes ease, and in some cases vanish altogether, and excess pounds melt away. CHIP is a program that works because it's based on the science of health, science that's proven and amazingly effective. Stop by chiphealth.com to learn more. Changes come when you make health a habit. That's chiphealth.com. I felt that I was living a healthy lifestyle, but I was starting to uh, have a few problems that I attributed to aging. I did not consider myself obese, but I had gained 40 pounds over a period of about 25 years. My cholesterol was raising, my blood pressure was beginning to creep up, I was on medication, a series of medications for lowering my cholesterol, but the condition that affected my lifestyle the most was the osteoarthritis in my knees. I had very limited mobility and limited range of motion, constant pain, and this was affecting the interaction with my grandchildren. When I first began making changes through the CHIP program, pounds began to melt off right away. Inflammation and other symptoms of my osteoarthritis in my knees just disappeared. I was able to eliminate medication that I was taking for cholesterol. I felt so much better, had so much energy, and I truly believe I was healthier than I was in my 40s. CHIP has given me a second chance for an active life and a long life. I'm really looking forward to being an active part of my grandchildren's lives as they grow, and I've chosen to be healthy for the rest of my life. Are you ready to be healthy for the rest of your life? Visit chiphealth.com to begin your journey. Welcome back to the program. I'm Charles Mills. I'm here with T. Colin Campbell. He's one of my heroes. He is the author of The China Study and more recently the book Whole, Rethinking the Science of Nutrition. And we're talking today about what he calls scientific reductionism. And that is the the, the habit of scientists and, and funding of scientists when we break things down and highly focus into parts. And like we said at the beginning, we are beginning to miss the forest for the trees. We are studying the trees and behind there is an entire forest force of information that we're not seeing because we're pressed up against those trees. And Dr. Campbell is outside of his house right now near the trees, and that's why you're hearing some birds every once in a while in the background. That's cool. Dr. Campbell, before the break, I said uh, we need to be heading into genetics here, and you're saying that this philosophy of breaking things down to individual elements is also happening in the realm of studying of genetics. Am I on the right track here? Absolutely. Yeah, genetics usually described as uh, genes, if Mm -hmm. you will, and in which case humans are said to have somewhere around 23 or 25,000 different genes. Mm -hmm. And the combinations of those genes, as they work together, are infinite. You can't even imagine, you know, how many combinations there might be as these genes work together to produce that effect. That's one thing to keep in mind. The second thing is that all biological events 
whether they're physiological, in other words, doing good things, Mm -hmm. or whether they're pathological, doing not so good things. All these events, from a chemical perspective, begin with a genetic basis. Mm -hmm. So in other words, the cell calls on the uh, genetic template, if you will, in each each and every cell, which happens to be the same. It chooses that combination of genes to do something, if I can speak that way. It chooses the, the genes to do something, so the genes then in turn express a product. First off is DNA converted to RNA and then RNA into protein, and protein is enzymes. The genes produce a product that then get in the business of controlling the reactions that go on inside the cells that we previously discussed. Mm-hmm. And so here we have a genetic basis for disease, complex, things working together, genes working together. And then so we discover a whole new world of genetics, if you will, involving all these different genes working together. And, you know, there's been some marvelous work done in recent decades in describing the so-called human genome, yes. sort of identifying each of the individual genes as to what they might do. And so what has happened with that particular discovery, which is really quite a marvelous piece of science, what has happened is that uh, then we end up focused on individual genes and what they might do, which gene is responsible for what kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And, and then there becomes the idea, well, maybe we should do a DNA analysis of everyone to see which kinds of genes they have, which ones might be causing some problems in the future. And so that's being sold on a rather large scale, at least of great attempts to do that. Then we have the pharmaceutical industry wanting to know which gene does what, so then they might be able to design a chemical product to intercept those genes that we don't like or reverse them. And so there's huge industry, multi-billion dollar industry, you know, arising, you know, on the basis of this fascinating world of genetics. And quite frankly, what we learned now 30 to 40 years ago, actually, in the laboratory, was that if we start with a genetic basis for something, it's not the genetic basis that gives rise to the final event. It starts with a genetic basis, yes. But what these genes do is basically controlled by nutrition. Hmm. And so even if we have some genes that we would rather not have, and we all do. Yes. We have some genes we'd rather not have. We've got lots of good ones, fortunately. But the body is able to determine which of those genes get expressed and do their good work hmm. while keeping under control those genes, in fact, that are not so good. And so then the question, well, how does the body do that? Well, it uses food, and it uses nutrition, which turned out to be plant-based Again, the whole food. So we have these enormously complex worlds of genetics and genetic expression and, and all the other kinds of metabolic reactions that go on in the body. It's one complexity built on another complexity, in a sense, all interacting with each other in a fascinating way. And so the real question then is, why don't we just give our body the kind of things that best you know, suit the purpose of creating health? Mm-hmm. And that was the sort of these survey, if you will, or the discussion of that concept in the China study that we wrote first. And it turns out that when we evaluate the information that way, and we did in our laboratory for many years, really, plants have those materials, those, those constituents that, when working together, have this enormous property of creating health. So when we are eating animal protein, if that is the main course of our diet, We are not giving our bodies the tools it needs to do its work properly? Is that what you're saying? Yes, absolutely. When we, and we have done this as a society, we've done this for 139 years since protein was discovered, for example, since 1839. Uh, So when we we seem to think that 
animal and protein is the most important of all nutrients. We've got to make sure we have enough. And what happens, the protein from animal-based foods, as we increase that consumption for whatever reason, what happens is we tend to decrease the consumption of these plant-based foods. Mm. So we're getting two effects. First, we're getting the damaging effects of animal protein itself and all the things that come along with that, while at the same time, we're depressing the consumption of things that really matter that create health. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that combination is deadly. It really is. Another way of sort of disturbing that sort of natural setting, too, is to use these so-called processed foods, these commercial products that are put together, oftentimes with just plant materials, I might add, sugar and and of white flour, I mean, that comes from plants, basically. When we put that together, we might not have a Danish or a donut. Yeah. That's not the whole food. That's not the food as it, it is available in nature. So either straying down either one of those paths, either in the form of animal foods or in the form of processed foods, that gets us away from the whole plant-based foods, which actually have these enormously oppressive properties. You know, I, I never thought about this before, Dr. Campbell, until this moment. Refined food is sort of like the supplements of whole foods. <laughs> is that a right way of saying that? Absolutely. That's, <laughs> it's, it's the same concept. Yeah, same concept. And, and it's maybe done for a slightly different purpose. I mean, industry has been very effective in trying to make foods that please our taste. Yes, yes. Which, in fact, turns out largely to be fat and uh, sweetness. And you mentioned in the last third of your book, we talk about why we think this way, and you're saying that the media and the government itself is really promoting error. It's it's not telling you the whole story. It's saying, here's the tree, this is what you need, when really it's the forest we need. Am I on the right track? Yes, that's exactly right. And I did spend about 20 years in my career sort of sitting on those expert panels, yes. giving testimony before congressional committees and things like that on the basis of the reports that we produced. And so I know, the, I know the game of how scientific information is taken and then massaged and organized and summarized you know, in the form of doctor recommendations, for example. Yeah. And that's a real mismatch. Yes, yes. It's, it's really not a very faithful representation of what the science really says. And a lot of that really has to do with the influence, either direct or indirect influence of the of the commercial world, who want things their way so they can sell their products. Now, along comes Dr. T. Colin Campbell with the China study and now the book Whole. How's that working for you, Doctor? You, you don't seem to be lining up too carefully here with ways that used to be and still are. How's the scientific community respond to you and how's the government responding to you personally and your work with that kind of emphasis? Well, the, the biggest response is silence. <laughs> And I've given probably 500 lectures, I think, since the Chinese state came out over eight years ago. Uh-huh. And now the majority of them are medical schools, which I'm delighted to do, speaking to colleagues there in, in large measure, but the clinicians themselves who are not trained in nutrition mm-hmm. are really showing a lot of interest in this. Good, good. Because we can do more with food and nutrition than what can occur with like whole food plant-based diets. Right. We can do more with that than if you were theoretically to take the best of all the drugs put together. Hmm. It can't come close. I mean, the the food things trumps drugs enormously. Yeah, so the the medical industry has been trained in the use of drugs. I mean, there's a lot of people who are kind of upset with it, don't quite believe it. You know, they're they're doing their thing. And so I do get some resistance, obviously. And the food industry, I get resistance too. You know, the foods that are being produced that actually make the most money or basically the animal foods industry and processed foods, too. Mm-hmm. They're not particularly happy, but a lot of them sort of remain silent and 
hoping I'm going to go away, I guess, <laughs> in some ways. But then I have to say, there's a lot of people, just a growing number of people, professionals, I must say, too. Professionals are saying, hey, this is right. Mm. This is what the facts are. Mm-hmm. And so it's a mixture of silence on one hand and extremely positive sort of responses on some individuals who really get it on the other. I mean, there's a few protagonists, pretty serious protagonists, but I, I, I just see the opportunity growing, and I'm hopeful and optimistic mm-hmm. that we need to turn things around. There's an old philosophic expression that I was told, reminded of by a, a colleague of mine in the Massachusetts not too long ago. He told about this scenario that talks about, you know, in the present state, we're unconsciously incompetent when it comes to medicine. Unconsciously incompetent. The next step beyond that is to become conscious of our incompetence. (laughs) And then the third is to be conscious of our competence Mm. when we get things turned around. And then the final step is is, is essentially being unconscious of our competence. Mm -hmm. And so what he he had described to me and some others in a similar vein have described that what the China study has done, now what the whole has done, is basically taking that first step. Hmm. It's taking the, the community that's unconscious of their incompetence and making them conscious of their incompetence. First, in other words, becoming aware. Mm-hmm. Becoming aware of what the problem is. That's the first step. I, I, you know, it's delighted at least the first step has been considered by many people. Yes, yes. So once they become aware of what the problem is, if it's properly articulated, then they can start thinking about, well, what do we do about it? And I, I really find some folks doing that. We're doing some of that ourselves, trying to encourage that kind of sort of next step phase, which is very exciting. And I, so for the future, we, we have to start thinking about this because this enters into a discussion concerning health care costs. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And health care costs, we all know, is uh, bankrupting our country as a potential to do that. Yes. It really does. And we've, we've got to address the problem. Well, it turns out, of all the proposals that's been put on that question, it turns out that what they're talking about is who's going to pay the future bill. Yes. They're not talking about how do we decrease demand. Yes, yes. So, and I think the old supply-demand idea is still a pretty good one. And so we, we can bring costs under control by decreasing demand, which in turn requires education of the public as to how they can do that for themselves. Mm-hmm. And I, I congratulate you on your program. I mean, this is part of that step, is making people aware of some of this information. It's very exciting. Well, that's exactly what the uh, CHIP program, the Complete Health Improvement Program, does. Yes. It is all about doing what you're doing. It's all about letting the public know, letting them know their incompetence. Now, the incompetence is maybe not their fault. They just happen to get there. But right. uh, sure. it's, it's time for us to make some changes. And the book Whole, Rethinking the Science of Nutrition, is a fantastic step. The book China Study by our guest today, T. Colin Campbell, is a wonderful step in that direction, as well as attending a CHIP program near you. And you can get more information about CHIP, of course, from chiphealth.com that... Uh, we recommend that you stop by there and find out what's going on and what program might be coming into your area. That's chiphealth.com. The book, Whole Rethinking the Science of Nutrition, T. Colin Campbell. Thank you so much for being with us today. We always appreciate your words of wisdom. Well, thank you so much for having me. We're on the same path, walking together. Absolutely, absolutely. And listener, until next time, this is Charles Mills along with T. Colin Campbell. I love this guy. 
inviting you to be healthy by choice. Goodbye, everyone. If you'd like more information about Healthy by Choice, call Three Angels Broadcasting Network at 618-627-4651. You can also email us through our website at 3abn.org.